All right, we're gonna. This will be an interesting conversation, I think. We're gonna be talking about oil and gas and oil sands and policy and and all the rest of this stuff um, that we've talked about many, many times over the years and will many, many more times because it's a big deal in this province. Oil and gas, big, big deal. Oil and gas policy, another big deal and something that we like to argue about and debate. It's also a very political issue, right? We know that politicians of all stripes and from all levels uh, have a hand in making it that and making it the issue that it is. Uh, so does industry. There's a lot of players involved, a lot of narratives around it, everybody trying to massage it and push it in their own particular direction. So how well do you think you really know the story about how energy policy in Alberta has been formulated and evolved? Maybe not as much as you think, particularly around the oil sands. Now, Mark Mahislop has reported on energy issues for years. He's also spent years digging into how industry and politicians and even environmental groups all came together at one point in time. It sort of ended up kicking this ball off and getting us started to where we are now. So let's uh, chat with Markham Hislop. He's an energy journalist and a publisher of Energy News. Markham, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Uh, good morning, Shay. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Um, we're we're, we're going to be going back in time a little bit here. You've been working on this, as we know, for a long time when it comes to energy and energy policy and things like that. But you've also been working particularly on how Alberta sort of got to where we are, going back a number of years, right? Well, this story is germane because of the Sovereignty Act. Now, Premier Smith has been uh, in the media the last uh, few days over the weekend explaining that Bill Number 1, so the Sovereignty Act, is required to prevent the federal government from imposing an emissions cap on Alberta oil and gas that will lead to production cuts. Exactly. And that's what this, sto- that's what this story directly uh, addresses. So... Everybody should settle in for a bit. It's a bit of a long story. <laughs> it it's very, very interesting. Okay, so let's go so back to the beginning here. So the beginning, it starts in t- 2008 with the Tar Sands campaign. You know, the one that Vivian Krauss was on and yep. on about all yep. the time. We had the Allen Choir. So that actually was successful. I mean, it put a lot of heat on the oil sands companies, and they didn't appreciate it. So in 2014, Murray Edwards was you know, the billionaire part owner of the Calgary Flames and and uh, head of CNRL, one of the big oil sands companies. He got together some of his uh, fellow CEOs and they said, look, we're sick of this. We need to have a meeting with environmental groups and see if we can hash out a quote unquote peace in the valley. So they got Dave Collier, who uh, used to head up Shell Canada and was just finishing up a six-year stint as chair uh, head of uh, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, CAP as we know it. And they said, look, go find some environmental groups and let's get this conversation going. So Dave approached Zipporah Berman, and she got five executive directors of environmental groups, including the Pemben Institute was one of them. And on, in, a, in September of 2014, they all met at a restaurant in Calgary for their very first conversation, which, as you can imagine, was pretty tense. Well, I guess, yeah. Like, yeah, because I interviewed, I interviewed people from Suncor and Dave and Zipporah, and, and you know, I, I did a thorough job reporting yeah, on like you, like you're so, not just You're not just taking the second, third. You spoke with the people that were at these meetings. On the record interviews. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So over the course of the next year or so, they hashed out a deal. This is a handshake deal. It's not written down any place. It's not you know, a legal agreement. It's a handshake deal. 
So what did the oil sands CEOs gave up? Well, they gave up three things. They agreed to carbon pricing, which now we see, you know, the uh, industrial emitters carbon tax or tier in Alberta. They agreed to 40 to 45 percent methane cuts by 2030. And here's the big one. They agreed to the 100 megaton oil sands emission cap. Now, that eventually, as we all know, wound up in the uh, Rachel Notley's climate leadership plan. But it didn't come from the leaching uh, commission, which was touring around in 2015, getting input and became the basis for the climate leadership plan. It came from these meetings. So but then question is, what did the CEOs get and what the environmental groups agreed to? They said, we will not push government for production cuts in order to get emission reductions. And that's key because that's exactly what the. Uh, the premier, Premier Smith, is is accusing the federal government of trying of trying to do, despite the fact there's been denials and nobody is, is saying that. That's what she's accusing them of. So, in September of 2015, representatives of the CEOs and the ENGOs they go to then Environment Minister Shannon Phillips and they meet with her in her legis- uh, office on the fifth floor of the legislature. They tell her what they've been doing, and she looks at the CEOs and goes. Seriously? You guys are willing to agree with this? And they said, we know where things are going. We know that climate change is an issue that needs to be addressed. We know we've been talking about this for years. We're now prepared to fully back climate policy. Yes, this is a big thing, but we felt that it was a big, dramatic gesture. We needed to commit to this. And she says, okay, that's cool. Two months later, Rachel Notley introduces the uh, climate leadership plan on the dais and who's standing beside her Four oil sand CEOs. And the reason is because of that handshake deal. Now, lots of water under the bridge, you know, from late 2015 to, to today. Right. That's the thing. The hand, yeah. But the handshake deal basically abides. Nobody's repudiated. The, the oil sand CEOs have not come out and said, you know, we repudiate that deal. They, they basically are still on site. And the important thing here is, is that what's going on with the current oil, uh, oil and gas emissions cap is that this is all being negotiated. You know, a year ago or you know, earlier this spring, the federal government put out a discussion paper and, you know, the oil, the oil and gas industry didn't like it and the environmental groups didn't like it. And so they're all negotiating and there are discussions ongoing. This is how policy gets made. This is how policy has always been made. And eventually, at some, you know, there are very legitimate questions from the industry's point of view of how do you do it? How fast do you do it? Who's going to pay for it? These are the subject of the negotiations and the discussions. There was no, there is no need to create a constitutional crisis to resolve an issue that is going to be, that the industry has been thinking about for years, already committed to, and eventually they will come to some kind of a resolution where everybody will be unhappy, but it'll all, it'll get done. <laughs> okay, now hang on a second, Mark, because what you're talking about, the oil sands groups and what they came up with and uh, net zero 2050, all those sorts of things, that's one issue. And uh, you're right, they, they, they're sort of driving the bus on that. I think what Smith is talking about is the 2030 targets, 40% below 2000. I don't think the oil sands have side on to there. So there is a separate issue that's been introduced by the feds more recently. And like you say, it's under negotiation. But I think that's the issue she's talking about. 
That's exactly the issue she's talking about. The the point I'm trying to make is, and Albertans need to ask themselves this question, and in fact, all Canadians do, is, is it worth a constitutional crisis over? Mm-hmm. Because, well, you know, the oil sands companies... Let me give you an example here. So if you go to Suncor, which is one of the is Canada's largest integrated oil and gas company, and you look at their investor presentation from March uh, 2022, they say, we're taking a different approach to emissions. We're going to cap our production and we're going to get more what's called value. They're going to drive their costs down and, and improve. That's where they're going to focus their attention. And we're going to cut 10 megatons a year of GHG emissions by 2030. That's like 10 out of 29. So the oil sands companies, if they put their mind to it, they can do this. They've got the technology and and they've got the capital because they're all flush with cash these days. It's not it's not a fatal thing uh, that the that is being suggested. It, it, it just the question the question is how to sort it out the, the oil sands companies don't want to spend them any you know money to do it quickly they would like the federal government they've asked the federal government for 50 billion dollars for carbon capture and storage all of this stuff is on the table it's all being it can be resolved without you know, upending the country and throwing it into a constitutional crisis. Yeah, and I don't think we talk enough about how industry is heavily invested, heavily involved, and out in front, usually ahead of what government is talking about. In a lot of cases, the government comes in with their policies, and industry says, yeah, we, we, we set that up last year. We're good. We're, we're on the same <laughs> pathway. So, I mean, that happens a lot. And I don't think, you know, CAP coming out last week and saying they don't like the Sovereignty Act, that doesn't help well, because it's like you're saying, industry is saying, this isn't what we need. Industry likes certainty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Industry, key, industry keeps asking over and over again, look, we'll, we'll, if you set climate policy and you tell us what it is, we'll figure out a way to, to become compliant and we'll get emissions down. And this is part of the, uh, you know, there's been some frustration, I get it, on the federal government's level because, and here's another point that isn't well understood. In, in around 2016, 2017, the uh, oil sands emissions were 72 megatons a year. This year, they're 80 megatons a year. IHS Market, which is sort of the leading consulting firm that analyzes this, says that by 2025, like two years away, they're going to be 90 megatons a year. And if CCS doesn't get implemented quick enough, my guess is it could be closer to 100 by 2030. So the federal government is looking at this and, you know, they're trying to get emissions down. Meanwhile, the oil sands emissions are going up and up and up and up. And that's a source of tension, as you could well imagine. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there has and that has to be there has to be a process where the parties can sit down, including the Alberta government and Premier Smith, and they can talk this out and figure out how to how they're going to address it. But you can't do that when you're having a constitutional crisis and everybody's shouting each other and wild accusations are being made. That doesn't benefit anybody, and CAP understands that. And not only CAP, it's like you say, the the, the head of the oil sands, the the major producers, got together with the NGOs and, and sat down around a table and said, you know what? There's actually a bunch of stuff we agree on here. There's some common ground that we can sort of lay out and we can get started on working towards the future together. I mean, that collaborative approach gets drowned out in the background, like you say about the political hype and screaming and back and forth. Do you know what killed the tar sands campaign, uh, Shay? This is fascinating because when Vivian Krauss was, make, you know, making her, you know, spinning her conspiracy theories and then Premier Kenny 
you know, agreed with it and, and set up the Allen inquiry. What they what they completely ignored is that once the Alberta government brought in the climate leadership plan in late 2015, the U.S. foundations told Zipporah Berman and the other members of the Tar Sands Campaign Coalition, they said, we're done. Knock it off. Not, we're, yeah, we're done. I mean, all we wanted was Alberta to bring in some climate policy to address this. They've done that. We, we're going to take our money and deploy it where we think we can get a better return for it. That's what killed the Tar Sands campaign. By 2016, 2017, the money had slowed down to a trickle. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was all because of that agreement that the CEOs and the ENGOs entered into and then what was enshrined in, in policy. It's interesting, Mark, because, you know, I mean, we, and we talk about this on so many different issues, right? It, it, it's the it's the really, really noisy edges that, that get a lot of the attention. And and this is the fascinating thing, especially around this. We talk so much about the politicians yelling and screaming at each other, and then we get involved in it. Meanwhile, industry just moves slowly ahead doing, okay, this is the reality that we're facing. Let's handle it. Let's move on. But we don't talk about that enough. We talk about the really noisy stuff on the outsides where actually things are happening because people agree on things and are moving forward. We don't talk about that though you know and i'm as guilty as anybody shay you and i are connected on twitter and and i get caught up in these in the discussion likely we all do right but if you listen to when 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 jason kenney was premier i don't know how many times he said oh yeah we fight with ottawa all the time but behind the scenes my ministers like you know when sonia savage was uh, uh was energy minister you know i had other i've had federal politicians tell me oh no we have a great working relationship with sonia (laughs) savage you know, we're getting stuff done behind the scenes. It's like, remember when Ralph Klein and uh, and uh, Jean Chrétien was premier, and Ralph Klein was, you know, and they'd yell and scream oh, at each yeah. other. And, and behind the scenes, they were they were doing what governments are supposed to do. And so, if if Danielle Smith wants to yell and scream at Pierre, or, or Jason, Justin Trudeau, you know, call them names and and make up stuff, that's fine. That's that's political theater. We we're used to that. It's the constitutional thing. It's Bill One. That's really problematic. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, you have CAP and other industry folks, you know, cautioning against passing the Sovereignty Act. Yeah. Markham, great stuff. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, it's Shauna. And I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan. And I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.